Hey everyone, you're listening to InfoQuench with Jeff and Amy. We're chatting about how to get the most out of life and covering a ton of interesting topics. So there's sure to be something for just about everyone. Let's get to it. Hey everybody and welcome to InfoQuench. I'm your host Jeff. And I'm Amy and this episode we're going to be talking about keys to mastering the art of persuasion. Mastering the art of persuasion. So if I wanted you to do something, anything, uh, it's how I, how I, what I do to get you to do it. That's right. The whole persuading aspect of The whole that. persuading aspect of getting people to do things. Before we get into that, I want to talk a little bit about puzzling because I have been diving oh, yeah. deep into puzzles, jigsaw puzzles. How did that happen? I guess it's always been in your family. Well, it has. And I think I'm a little late to the game because people really went to puzzling during the pandemic as just, I guess, something to occupy time. But as I sat down to do my first puzzle of the pandemic, I... <laughs> When Jeff and Huck sat down with me, I was reminded of how many rules our family has around the putting together of puzzles. They are very stringent and kept rules. So we sat down, I I started to say, you know, well, first you have to take all the puzzle pieces out and you have to, if there are any that were left put together while they're, you know, by the factory or by the person who put it together before, they all have to be taken apart because that's cheating if there's any left together. (laughs) And you have to flip over all pieces before you put any two pieces together. They all have to be flipped over and you have to separate out all the edge pieces and the edge pieces have to be put together and you have to frame that up first. And you can't have any drinks on the table because if you spill a drink on a puzzle table, it's tragic. And you can't hide a piece so that you get to be the person who puts in the last piece. (laughs) Yeah, I think that that has happened in the past, I'm sure. That's just pure evil, really. It's funny that you call it uh, the edge piece. I call it the border. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I mean, well, that was... Or I call them flat pieces, too, I guess. See, I have two jobs when it comes to doing puzzles. Well, three. I buy them. I, I surprise you with puzzles. Well, I mean, you, you've bought them before too, but I mean, you know. It's nice when you surprise me with puzzles. It is nice. It's really nice. The second job that I have is finding the very last piece of the border. Usually, you can't find the last piece of a border in a puzzle, right? Yeah, it's odd. There usually is one piece missing when I'm putting together the frame. But I failed in our last puzzle. I could not find it. I looked, I scanned and scanned and scanned, but you found it today. Um, and then the third, the third job is when the puzzle's completely almost finished. That's when I come alive. That's when I'm like, okay, there's only a certain amount of pieces. <laughs> you and Hux all of a sudden come out of the woodwork. Oh yeah, we're like, like, oh, that one goes here. And I, I'm so horrible at puzzles. I mean, how can someone be horrible at puzzles? But I actually am. And I actually announce when I when I find a piece that goes someplace. I know someplace. pretty much every single one <laughs> yeah, that you do. I, so I, no one I likes to do puzzles with me. The first nine hundred and seventy-five of them, and then Jeff and Hux flurry over to yeah. help me finish up the last little bit, which I don't mind at all. It's I think fun. It's super cool. Then we I, leave. And then and then after the puzzle's done, we leave it just sitting there so we can see it as we walk by the table for a week and sometimes jeff likes to try to pick it up and see if he can if it'll all hold together while he holds it up in the air right but only usually to find a piece that's missing which has happened to us with two puzzles now one piece completely disappeared 
I know. It's so easy to happen. Hits I don't sticks to your that. arm or gets on the bottom of someone's foot and tracked to somewhere else in the house. And one of the things that our family does is we always write on the inside cover of the box if there's a piece missing. But I was, you know, sometimes I'm debating just throwing them out. That sounds really wasteful, but it's just so disappointing. Yeah. Charlie, Charlie. agrees. It's wasteful too. Charlie likes puzzles. Too. So I just wanted to move into that puzzle. <laughs> Anyway, little... I don't know how we got talking about. I guess you brought it up. That's how it happened. Well, I was just curious if our listeners had similar puzzling rules or just these rules or family had developed over the years that they didn't even really think about until they started to tell their children all the things they have to do with puzzles. Yeah. I just try to drain every little last bit of fun out of the puzzle experience. You really do. <laughs> and that's why I just uh, come around towards the end. So back to persuasion. The quote for this one is, don't raise your voice, improve your argument. And I, I think that's a, that's great, a quote. great quote. It's Who by, said that? Uh, Desmond Tutu. Uh, he said yes. it during an address at the Nelson Mandela Foundation in uh, 2004, actually, in Johannesburg, South Africa. And it really just says, you know, you don't, you don't just yell louder to get somebody to come over to your side of things. You need to make an intelligent argument in order to, to persuade them. Persuasion is definitely about the ability to influence. And you think about Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People and how that has been such an important book that has stood the test of time. And it is really about this art of persuasion. When we talk about influencing people, it's about persuading people. And the art itself of persuasion hasn't really changed in 2000 years right since uh, you know aristotle looked at the keys to persuasion which we're going to cover in our episode and they still hold true today or if he's ever like i lost my keys (laughs) (laughs) anyway (laughs) sorry Uh, I don't know if he had keys. Well, they did have keys back then. They're just much different. They weren't yeah. on a ring with... Where's those keys? With a nice little keychain. I wonder yeah. if they had keychains in Aristotle's time. Probably. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> um, so according to the uh, Harvard Business Review, I they consider ideas are the currency of the 21st century, which I think is pretty awesome. Ideas are so essential. Just think about all of the everyday uh, instances where you persuade people you 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 want to persuade people to do certain things like you can think about it with your children you know you want them to eat their vegetables well how do you persuade them to do that you know what i mean there's so many different aspects and then you can go to politics you can go to whatever right you oh just, yeah like, i mean anyway. with kids it's next level persuading my entire day is filled with persuading our yeah. son to move through to the next part of the day <laughs> It's true. Whether it's just to get the sneakers on and to get the coat on. Usually yeah. persuading just involves repeating yeah. the same request over and over and over again. Absolutely. Eventually they listen. Eventually. But you're definitely right when you talk about persuasion in daily lives. It's not just about, you know, not just about sales. Mm-hmm. You know, there are definitely a lot of times when people are looking to persuade entrepreneurs, maybe persuading investors to invest in a startup or job candidates are trying to persuade people to hire them. This reminds me of one of the very first ever documentaries. I think I might have mentioned to you before, but it's called Salesman. And it's all about like these salesmen, like this group of salesmen. And it's like cinema verite where they follow them around. And it's made in like the 50s or so. It's one of the earliest documentaries ever. And they're selling Bibles and they go into people's homes and they try to persuade them to buy these like giant Bibles, like illustrated in all color and everything. And it's fascinating to watch the tactics that they use to try and sell these Bibles to people. It's it's highly recommended. It's just called Salesman. It's interesting because 
if you were going to someone's door to sell them a Bible and then their first response was, I'm not a Christian, yeah. then you'd have to like first sell them on the whole religion. Yeah, I think that And then sell them on the book. That I would think, be quite a task. Yeah, that'd be, that would be funny. <laughs> I think it's really interesting because I, he does, like these salesmen do try and sell this Bible in the Bible belt. They're trying to sell these Bibles to people who really want the Bible, but most of the time they're too poor to buy the Bible. And they're like, they're coming up with these like, well, you could sell your car or, you know, you could, if you really want the Bible, I mean, there's all kinds of ways you can, you could, you know, get some more shifts at work. And like, they're just coming up with these crazy ideas for people to buy the Bible. It's really, really quite entertaining. You could just steal it from the next hotel room you go and stay in. It's like, and then like the tactic is like, well, just think about, you know, this is a book that will be in your, in your family's history for years and years and years to come, your children and their children. Your ticket to heaven. It's just, it's insane. It's, it's really, it was really quite an eye-opening. How many copies of a Bible does one need if they're a Christian? Only, only one, and it's color, and it's, and it's it's gigantic, million pages long. It reminds me of the encyclopedia salespeople. And do you remember? I remember you telling me a story about those encyclopedias. My parents got encyclopedias from the grocery store. They would each week with the grocery order, they would pick up one or two volumes. They were really expensive, and. Our family, I think we only ended up getting like the first half of the alphabet and <laughs> yep. I'd pick all of the uh, the topics that were covered in my the books that we actually had. I know, that's hilarious. And then if you wanted, I remember you telling me if you wanted the books in the latter part of the alphabet, then you would have to borrow from your cousin yes. because they would get, you guys had a deal where you would get the early part of the alphabet and they would get the latter part. It was one of those things that I think my parents were, they sort of spread it out because they were so expensive. But by the time they were, you know, at middle, mid alphabet, they, the grocery store just stopped the whole program. Yeah. Well, it would take you a year. <laughs> you couldn't finish it. I mean, how disappointing would that be if you invested all this money in the first Bat, like first half of yeah. your encyclopedia set and all of a sudden the grocery store is like, yeah, we're done with that. If you got one uh, edition of the uh, encyclopedia per month, it would take you a year to get the whole set. You know what I mean? Because it goes A to B, B to C, C, right? I thought that's what it, like, usually what those... Yeah, but set. some of those, you know, those letters that are the lesser letters might, you might have like, oh, like might, V and W. XYZ oh. might get jammed into one volume. Oh, that's true. Yeah. So maybe a little quicker than a year. Okay. <laughs> On to the next key. It was the, uh, you know, the 1980 version, 1980, 70s version of the, uh, the internet. What key is this going to unlock? <laughs> so just going back to persuasion in our daily lives. So if you're looking at it from a non-capitalist standpoint, persuasion can just help you not only win an argument, but get somebody to go with your idea, but maybe even help people just understand and support your cause when you're thinking That's true. from a more altruistic standpoint. Yeah. So how do you persuade someone? So I mentioned that the art of persuasion is 2,000 years old, and the reason I say that is the keys we're going to talk about are from the ancient Greek philosopher Aristotle, and specifically from his work, Rhetoric. Right. So Rhetoric brings me into... The definition for this episode, which is rhetoric, rhetoric, rhetoric. Oh, (laughs) well, rhetorical question, I think, is when we often think of rhetoric. And I always just thought of a rhetorical question as one one that didn't need to be answered because the obvious the answer was obvious. But the actual definition of of rhetoric is it's language that's designed to have a persuasive or an impressive effect on the audience. But it's often regarded as lacking in sincerity or meaningful content. So then when we talk about a rhetorical question. 
It's a question that's asked in order to create that dramatic effect or make a point rather than get an answer. So not only is it something that they don't expect to be answered, but it's, you know, to make a point. It's the Politicians the use that as an art. Basically, it's their craft using rhetoric to, to push their ideas, you know? Well, right. I mean, uh, that's an incredible form of persuasion is uh, in politics just persuading somebody to vote for you. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the entire goal of a campaign. When you look at persuasion, it pervades all aspects of our lives. It really does. Some more evident, you know, or more evident than others, but it's there. And I'm going to go through the keys, and there are five of them. And they actually have a a Greek word to describe them, and then our modern day word. So I'll give you both, just because it's cool, and I like to say the cool word. The first one is ethos, Ethos. um, which is uh, character. Can I do that like each, with each You absolutely word? can. Okay. In fact, I insist that you do that Let's with do it again. every... The first one. The first one, number one, is ethos. Ethos. <laughs> it, means, it means character. <laughs> so this is the, the part of your, your speech or when you're talking to somebody where your audience gains some insight. Uh, they gain insight into your credibility. Hmm. So Aristotle believed that if the speaker's actions didn't really back their word, then they would lose credibility and that weakens the overall argument. So an example of this would be a famous TED Talk. And it was a TED Talk that was about reforming the criminal justice system. It was given by human rights attorney Brian Stevenson. And he actually began the TED Talk with, uh, with these words. I spend most of my time in jails, in prisons, on death row. I spend most of my time in very low-income communities in the projects and places where there's a great deal of hopelessness. So the reason I, I use those words, or I, I wanted to use his exact words, is to point out that he doesn't list out you know degrees, accomplishments, awards to try to impress his audience for credibility. Instead, he, mm-hmm. he establishes character for those listening who may not know him, just basically say... I actually understand. I'm in those places. I'm with those people. And I understand the criminal justice system. It's making an instant rapport with his audience. Yeah, definitely. And so it's building that trust. And, you know, when we look at it from a genetic standpoint, uh, you know, it's in our DNA that way back when we needed to determine very quickly in terms of survival, whether a stranger was friend or foe. And so we're hardwired to sort of look for reasons whether or not we should trust somebody, and we have to do it quickly. And we really do that quickly. We really, like, as soon as somebody starts a speech, for example, where all eyes are on that person, we, we can tell pretty quickly, like, what their sort of angle is, I find, as human beings. Not necessarily judging them, but just sort of feeling them out. You know what I mean? I, yeah, and I sometimes you can't really put your finger on why you trust or don't trust somebody. When I think of salespeople, for instance, I think probably most people can yeah. relate to being with uh, in a situation where a salesperson just is a little too slick or yeah. certain salespeople that establish trust, mm-hmm. and you're more likely to believe what they have to say about the product and, and, and make that final purchase. But then there are others that you can't quite put your finger on why you don't trust them. Right. A lot of the times you don't trust them because they lack ethos. That's right. And, you know, I was thinking back, Jeff and I watched a documentary a couple of weeks ago, and it was around prosthetic limbs. And the guy oh, who yeah. was being interviewed about it was he sort of had the company and ran the research around it. And he just seemed a little slick. And it came across as though he was maybe in it for the money, if, yeah. if that, you know, if that, that makes sense. documentary was really interesting because it challenged perceptions of the viewer. 
Because really, like I think almost anyone that was watching that documentary in the beginning would think that, oh, this guy is really smarmy or like, you know, and he's like, he had a lot of like, you know, uh, you know, corporate jargon and stuff like that. And it just completely just, and he seemed kind of like full of himself in a he way. He did. And then he pulled up his pant legs and displayed that he himself had two prosthetic limbs. That's right. And started to describe how he came to be involved in this and how this all came about. And he talked about, he was an, an avid climber, I think at a pretty high level uh, you know in terms of competitive climbing and he had a uh, tragic accident and in building prosthetic legs he was actually able to fashion prosthetics that allowed him to climb even better even better than when he had uh, you know before his accident and so as we're watching this documentary we're slowly understanding this person as a person and stuff like that like not so not not as corporate speak but just like as exactly what his what he was doing and we started to understand him more and respect him more and trust him more right so he right. persuaded us and it's really interesting when we understood his motivation wasn't financial yeah that it was because he himself had gone through this yeah and understood the importance of having prosthetic limbs that were functional and 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 it just it did diff- could change the entire perception yeah. of the person so character is incredibly important the second key is Logos. Logos. <laughs> and I'm not talking about company logos. No. <laughs> logos, uh, as in another word for reason. And this is really just about, you know, why should people care? Why mm-hmm. should they care what you have to say when you're trying to persuade them? You know, why should they? What's, what's in it for them? Mm-hmm. I actually saw a post recently about marketing. And I found it really interesting. It was on LinkedIn. And they said, you know, you can talk about a lot of different aspects of marketing, but the number one thing that marketing has to have is it has to tell the person what's in it for them. That post in particular was more from the sales aspect when we're talking about product, service. And, you know, what's the reason? So coming back to this key of persuasion, what's the reason that the person should listen to you? Will it help them save money? Uh, Will it benefit them in some other way? And in order to do this... It's crucial to have you know, data, evidence, and facts that will support it that you, in order to really make a rational argument. Yeah, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. So it's just you know, making a real logical appeal to, yep. to somebody in terms of persuasion. The third key is pathos. Pathos. Those, those. <laughs> I like the effect on that one. I think I put a little echo on that one. So pathos is another word for emotion. And I'm going to start the discussion on this key with a quote from Maya Angelou. And the quote is, I've learned that people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. Mm-hmm. And I think it just speaks to the power of emotion. And according to Aristotle, he's, he said that persuasion cannot occur in the absence of emotion. He said people are moved to action by how the speaker makes them feel. It's a very powerful tool, it, emotion. So how do you do that? You know, how do you connect with somebody one way is through storytelling it's Mm -hmm. an incredible way to transfer emotion from one person to another you know neuroscientists have actually found that aristotle's thesis of the importance of storytelling is very accurate it's been proven today because they've looked at you know how narratives can actually trigger a rush of neurochemicals in the brain 
So Hmm. one of those chemicals would be oxytocin, which is known as the moral molecule, but it connects people on a deeper, more emotional level. So the science is there to say storytelling works. And then if you look at going back to TED Talks, uh, there was actually uh, an analysis done of 500 of the most popular TED Talks of all time. And it was found that stories made up 65% of the average talk. So when those people are up on stage, 65% of it is around storytelling to build that emotional aspect. I think people love stories because they can relate like with the stories, not necessarily like that they've gone through the same experiences, but they could, right? Any story that someone could tell you, you could put yourself in their, in their shoes. And so therefore it instantly becomes interesting. Well, and it's certainly more entertaining Mm -hmm. when you think about trying to keep people's attention. I mean, that's how movies, books, it's all based around storytelling. And that's... That's why people keep coming back, right? It is. It's more impactful than putting up a a PowerPoint slide during a TED Talk with a bunch of bullets. People want to tell a story. And I know some of the best jokes or or memories are conveyed through a really well-told story. It's a fascinating art in and of itself. Case in point, like just as a quick little aside... Uh, we have been watching the Apple show called uh, The Morning Show. And that is amongst some of the, some of the most interesting storytelling that keeps us coming back. And that's what, re- and it, of course, it's the acting and the writing and everything. But, you know, it's the emotional aspect of the show, really, that keeps us coming back. It is. I find more and more we're drawn to shows that are connecting on an emotional level and really focus on building the character mm-hmm. of uh, of the characters. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> you know, creating, uh, making them into real people. So quick rapid fire. If you're looking for some good shows to watch, Jeff and I have been watching some really great shows. Oh, yeah. Um, Billions had released the second half of their most recent season. Yeah. Wrap that one up. Great stuff. We uh, watched the latest season of The Morning Show. Yep. Awesome. Uh, that's, Still ongoing, I do believe, unless the one we watched was I'm not finale. 100% sure if it's the finale or not, but either. Jennifer Aniston, Reese Witherspoon, Steve Carell, awesome show. And, uh, you know, touches a little bit about, you know, yep. the ongoing pandemic in the most recent season. Very interesting look at that. And then Succession. Succession is uh, is by far our favorite, I think. I really love Succession, too. It's just, you know, really looking at that the behind the scenes look at these families at the, you know, not the top 1%, but the top 0.001%. I think uh, that show, unlike any other, you and I completely like just, we cannot stop talking about the episode we just watched afterwards. And that's what I love the most. I find that makes a really great movie too. Like if you go see the movie, uh, I did, I went to go see a a movie recently with my friend uh, Steve and we went to go see Eternals and I did not like it at all because I didn't, I really couldn't even really talk about it afterwards. I didn't, didn't really, I didn't find it interesting, but I mean, Succession, you and I just, we just talk about like everything from the writing to the, anyway, it's a great show. Oh, I know. It's just, there's some phenomenal content coming out in terms of, you know, streaming services and Mm -hmm. different series that you can watch. So those are three that we really enjoyed, Succession, Billions and uh, The Morning Show. So just wrapping up on storytelling, when we talk about really making an effective story, the best stories are the ones that connect with you personally, that are about you or people close to you. And people relate when you are willing to be vulnerable and talk about failure, awkwardness, just being authentic. It can really create uh, a more relatable story for people. Right, yeah, exactly. So number four doesn't have a Greek word that Jeff can repeat. Can I make one up? 
Well, you can just say this word differently. Metaphor. Metaphor. I don't know. I feel like you're kind of using the same voice for all of them. Oh, you want me to use a different voice? Yeah. Oh, I can do a different one. Metaphor. Perfect. (laughs) That was perfect. We should tell a quick little story. Uh, Well, I don't know if we have time, but anyway. Uh, (laughs) One of the ways that our our son, Huxley, and I uh, really, really get under Amy's skin is by... We, we, will, we will both talk in really horrible English accents. And I, we, just, we can only say like one or two words before you, it drives you absolutely batty. And I just find that so entertaining. I don't know why. I find it interesting how much you enjoy driving me batty with it. Oh, it's so funny. <laughs> and I'm horrible at accents, so, but you, anyway. I, I don't know. Hello. Hello, how are you today? I'm not even going to do it. You, you you wrote me into that in another episode where I tried to do an accent and it was absolutely horrible. Oh, yeah. Can you say, throw another shrimp on the barbie? No. Come no. on, please, just once. Just no. one. Just one. No, all right, all right. I'm going to pass. Okay. I love it, though. Throw another... <laughs> <laughs> throw another... I can't even get it out Throw another laughing. shrimp on the barbie. Oh, shrimp on the barbie. <laughs> That's not bad, actually. That's your it best one like ever. sounded like Bobby. Really, was yeah, it? Yeah. Well, oh. you really... You really wanted to do a good job. So I think you, from all you your did. theater background, you're much better at accents than me, so your compliment means a lot. <laughs> when I talk about metaphor, Aristotle means giving language some verbal beauty. He, he actually said to be the master of metaphor is the greatest thing by far, maybe even greater than the art of persuasion, but who yeah. knows. But he talked about the idea that making a, using a metaphor, using an analogy to compare an idea to something that your audience is already familiar with it just really clarifies, crystallizes your idea and turns maybe something that's abstract into something more concrete, mm-hmm. something people can understand. I find that some of the best writers do that. They will use like a phrase or like they'll use a metaphor like in their novel or in a poem even uh, that really, really resonates with you. And you're like, I have felt that before. I, I've looked at the leaves shimmering through the sun that way before. And you've really nailed it. And that's what makes writing art, if you ask me. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think about Steinbeck. He's, well, yeah. Steinbeck. yeah just incredible at cre- creating that, that image for you, that mental image. Yeah. Going back to the Harvard Business Review, because I did read an interesting article in, in terms of my research, and they talked about an example of Warren Buffett, uh, who was, of course, a, a very well-known investor and yep. a very rich and successful man, and considered one of the savviest, what a great word, savviest practitioners it is a of great persuasion. Word, savvy. It's just fun to say. It's not savviest. as good as smarmy. <laughs> no, not quite, but... But they, they mentioned that Buffett rarely will give an interview without using metaphor, to make his point. So he'll talk to people when they're looking to invest in companies, he'll say, look for companies surrounded by a moat. Mm. And, you know, when he says that, he's basically saying, look for economic castles, like basically companies that are hard for competitors to even enter the industry. But you picture the company being surrounded by a moat, it seems very well protected and, and like a safe investment. But just by using that metaphor, it makes it easy for people to remember it creates an image in their mind and it's just easier sometimes to remember an image than it is to remember all the words around it it proves that every castle is ready for war as well yes you know what i mean by that yeah <laughs> you, you see what i mean like i a, actually a, don't a, know a, a, a are you castle? talking about literal castles now? A, yeah i'm talking about literal castles <laughs> if there wasn't a moat around it they wouldn't have anything to worry about right 
They, so th that means that they could be attacked. So if you t use it in a business sense, maybe they want like, the moat for swans. And swans, it's just to I, I do a believe, peaceful aesthetic of I, their castle. I do believe they put alligators in it. So well, Jeff and I recently, well, just last night, we watched Romancing the Stone. <laughs> Why did we watch that again? Oh, yeah. I love that movie. Yeah, I watched, YouTube, I've watched yeah. it so many times when I was younger. I don't I know. I have why. to it's, admit, it's it was cheesy, entertaining. but it's entertaining. It was entertaining. It was. And it's still. It still had some some pretty good laughs. Kathleen Turner and Michael Douglas deliver, and Danny DeVito. Danny DeVito does not deliver. And the three of them are in also in War of the Roses, which were it, well. It, I guess that's, that's next on our list. Oh my gosh, that's probably hilarious. watch that one tonight. There's something to be said for watching some of the old classics. It's, it's fun. It's true. The last one is brevity. Again, no Greek word. Bre brevity. I feel like you should say brevity faster. Brevity. <laughs> brevity. Good job. Perfect. Brevity. Aristotle discovered very quickly that there's only so much attention people have. There's limits and uh, what they can absorb and retain. So when it comes to persuasion, less is more. And it's also important to make your, your most important points very early on in the argument and do it as compactly and in as few words as possible. You know, people tend to their attention wanes. So just make sure that you start off strong and, and keep your argument or your idea concise and to the point. That's what we do on this podcast. We never veer off. <laughs> never, never. Mm -hmm. So when wrapping up those keys, I just want to, you know, summarize when we talk about persuasion. Aristotle actually felt that persuasion could be quite threatening to the political class, the crass. That was like a uh, <laughs> little Freudian, Freudian slip. slip. Yeah. Mm. But he wanted to make the tools available to the masses. He, uh, you know, he wanted, he felt everybody should have access to it. He championed, championed the idea that people's ability to speak and to write well, to use these devices yeah. that we covered Absolutely. can change, uh, to change other people's perspectives can just unleash human potential and maximize happiness. But the, uh, you know, the political class felt it should be held close. They didn't want everybody to have access to it. So it's just, I found that fascinating that it, he they tried found, to hide it. They found his keys of yeah. persuasion so effective that they wanted to keep them secret. The you Jedi mind tricks. The keys. So I want to summarize those five since we went through them in, in length, but uh, for the purpose of brevity, mm -hmm. the first one was character. So make sure your audience knows who you are and why they should trust you. The second one is reason, and that's really just why should they listen to you? What's in it for them? Third one was emotion. Why should they connect with you? Yeah. How, how can you move them to action by creating that emotion in them the fourth one was metaphor so that's just the idea of, of creating that image or concept to make your idea more relatable and memorable and the fifth one was brevity make your point quickly make before your point the quickly. attention wanes <laughs> yep. and i like to finish our episodes now with a random tip this one is around coffee coffee i had a co-worker who in Completely a previous unrelated <laughs> pre well that's what they that's why they're random random in a previous life she worked as a waitress and she told me when you're making coffee put your milk in first then pour your coffee in and you don't need to stir it it'll self-stir and that's how i make my coffee at home no need to dirty a spoon or a knife or a fork or whatever you grab to stir your coffee you can just put the milk in first pour in your coffee and it's all self-mixed wow I, I would never have thought that, that. Actually, it does make sense because you open your chip bags upside down to, to get the flavor first. Well, that's a random tip that I feel we should just end every episode with. That's right. 
That'll be our signature closing. <laughs> That's you know, right. like, like the great newscasters had signature closings. That will be ours. Open your chips upside down I... and have a good night. <laughs> That's funny. I have yet to do that though. But anyway, it's okay. I'll look after it for the for the family. Okay. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. Be sure to check out past episodes and subscribe to keep up with what's new. You can find us anywhere you get your podcasts. And why not leave a review? You can also follow InfoQuench on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Till Til next time. time.